I want to talk to you today about the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. And so a lot of times when we read the Bible, we talk about the gospel. And who here knows what the word gospel means? Good news. Okay. So we know that the word gospel means good news. But when we read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we see all types of different gospels. We see in, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see uh, predominantly the gospel of the kingdom. And then we see through the Apostle Paul, we have the gospel of grace, we have the gospel of salvation, we have the gospel of peace, and we have a number of different gospels. So, so what gospel is the one that we should be preaching? And so I want to talk to you today from the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he says this. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Father, I ask right now that you would just take your word, teach us Holy Spirit, give us insight into what you would have us to do today, who you want us to be, and where you'd have us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when we talk about the gospel, we know that the gospel means good news, but what does it mean when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom? Well, a lot of times we don't understand what kingdom is, Because we don't live in one, at least physically. Has anybody ever lived in a kingdom? No. What do we live in? We live in a democracy, right? Well, we do live in a city, we live in a state, a nation, but but our government is a democracy. So a lot of times when we grow up in a certain type of environment, we don't understand what the Bible's talking about. So... In, in, a, in a democracy, what, what, what's the law? It's the Constitution, right? In the Constitution, it says, anybody remember uh, American history? The preamble to the Constitution says, we the, be the people in order to form a more perfect government. Well, you guys know that better than the Bible. That's amazing. So in, in a democracy, we have what we call a constitution. It, it, it's of the people. If you remember Abraham Lincoln's speech in, in the Gettysburg Address, 1860-something, he said it's a, we're going to birth this new government, and it's of the people, by the people, for the people, or something like that. I'm not sure the exact order. Well, it's a little bit different in a kingdom. In a kingdom, you don't have a constitution. In a kingdom, the king's word is law. Right? If the king says it, that's it. There's not this this constitution that says you have these rights and those rights, and you can do this and you can't do that. Well, in, in in a democracy, do we have a king? No. What do we have? We have a president. Now, I'm not going to talk about our president, like him, don't like him, doesn't matter. You can go back far enough, you'll find one you liked, and you'll find one you didn't like. But if you don't like the president, what can you do? No, besides pray. (laughs) Is that my wife that said, yeah, you should pray for your president whether you like him or not. 
But if you don't like him, what, what, what's, what is your right to do? You can vote, right? And if you do like him, what can you do? You can vote. And, and, and so in the United States, we have our leader is voted into power. And if, you know, if he's a good president and he gets re-voted in, how long is he going to last? Eight years at the most. In a kingdom, not so. In a kingdom, a king is not voted in. He's king by birth. And he stays a king for how long? Till he dies. And so you have this, this difference in a democracy where you have a president that you vote. If you like him, you don't like him. The king comes in by birth and he stays until he dies. The other thing, in, 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 a, in a democracy, can, can, uh, can President Biden just decide that he wants to make a law a law? No. Now, Trump used to think he could. Like he, yeah, I'm just kidding. But, but no, the president can't say, okay, I'm now going to make it illegal to sit on this chair. Can't do that. Because there's, this, there's checks and balances. But in a kingdom, the king has absolute authority. See, so there's this difference between kingdom thinking and de- democratic or democracy thinking. And so we grow up a- in a democracy, and we don't really always understand uh, what a kingdom is. Well, real simple, it's this. A kingdom is the government of a king. A kingdom is the government of a king. Do you remember, and we, this is a verse we read a lot at Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. For he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. See, the, the, a kingdom is the government of a king. And so when you think of the kingdom of God, I want you to think of it in two aspects. So, so first of all, there's this eternal kingdom of God. And, and so it means this, that, that God rules and reigns over everything everyone, everywhere, for all time and all eternity, right? That, that before we were ever born, billions of years ago, God was reigning. And billions of years from now, guess what? God will still be reigning. That's the eternal kingdom of God. But then there's this present kingdom of God. And the present kingdom of God is God's influence and rule that's ever-increasing, ever-advancing, ever-emerging on the earth through Jesus Christ and his body. And that's what we are. And so when it says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end, it means it's always increasing. It's always growing. That, that, that what takes place in heaven is being manifested on earth, and it's an ever-increasing government. And so a kingdom is the government of a king. And anything you'll study about a kingdom, guess who the central person of a kingdom is? The king. And so if you have no king, guess what? There's no kingdom. No king, no kingdom. If you have a king, guess what you have? A kingdom. 
Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 17. Look at this next verse. Now, he's being asked by the Pharisees. They're, they're wondering where this physical kingdom is going to come from. They're like, well, where's it at? Can we see it? And he, what is he telling him? He said, no, it's, it's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual one. So he says this, says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now when Jesus said this, if you look in your Bible, about half the translations say, the kingdom of God is in your midst, and other half of the translations say, the kingdom of God is within you. Both are a correct translation. Jesus is actually saying something here. So he's standing in the midst of these Pharisees, right? And, and so all these Pharisees are around, and he says, the kingdom doesn't come with observation. You don't see it here. You don't see it there. But wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. He said, I'm standing right here. The kingdom is in your midst. And so wherever Jesus stood was where the kingdom was. But the other part of this is also true. The kingdom is within. So if you've accepted Jesus into your life, where's the king? Inside. And wherever the kingdom is, or wherever the king is, so is the kingdom. And so when Jesus says the kingdom is within, he's announcing that I'm bringing a kingdom with me, and where I stand, that's where the kingdom is. Right now, I'm in your midst, you Pharisees. But there's coming a day when I'm actually going to bring the kingdom on the inside. And wherever the king is, so is the kingdom. And so what you have to realize when you think about it is everywhere you go, you're literally taking the kingdom of God with you. And that when Jesus is on the inside, and when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, and when Jesus is the king of your life, that you're taking his kingdom with you. It's an important thing. It's really important. See, did you know this was the only message that Jesus preached? Jesus never preached another message other than the gospel of the kingdom. So, a lot of times what we do in church, we focus on what, we, what I call the gospel of salvation. Is salvation important? Everybody nod their head yes. Yes. Because what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see and you can't enter the kingdom of God. And so without salvation, we can't get in. But what happens a lot of times when we only focus on the gospel of salvation, and what a lot of churches do is they don't preach a false gospel, but they preach an incomplete gospel. And so what we do is we only preach the gospel of salvation, and we get people into the kingdom, and then they spend the rest of their life in the foyer. But there's so much more that God has for you. God has more than just getting you into the door. See, if a lot of times what we do is we preach Jesus so that you can go to where? Heaven. If that was his ultimate goal, wouldn't you just go the instant you got saved? See, Jesus never preached salvation so you could go to heaven. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, which is bringing heaven 
to you. It's a little bit different than maybe the, the, a lot of times what we, we tell people. Hey, you ought to get saved so you can go to heaven. Well, that's great, right? What are some of these? When I was in the Baptist church, we used to sing these songs. When we all get to heaven, anybody know this one? What a glorious day that will be. We'll all see Jesus and sing merrily or something. I don't know. What, oh, what a day of rejoicing that'll be. That's going to be great. So, but we focus on the sweet by and by, but what about the sour now and now? Right? How do I get through today? How do I get through my marriage? How do I get through dealing with my kids? How do I deal with, with the issues at work? The gospel of the kingdom will answer those questions. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, I've come to earth and I brought my kingdom with you or with me and you've got to change the way you think if you're going to receive it. Because if you don't think different, you're going to miss it. He says, you've got to repent and you've got to believe the gospel. I've got something that will change your life. I've got something that will make things better. But you can't keep thinking the same way you think. So it says he went all about Galilee, teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. You'll see these three things in the ministry of Jesus. Teaching, preaching, healing. It's kind of like the, the, the Jesus trifecta, I guess you could call it. It says in Matthew 9.35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's what he did. He taught he preached, he healed. He taught, he preached, he healed. See, there was more than just preaching. There was, there was the other things that went with it. Look at, look at Mark. It says in Mark, it says, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God's hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there. For this purpose, I have come. Do you see that? Jesus said, the reason I came is because I have a message that people need. I, need. I preached it here. I need to go there. I need to go there. I need to go to the next town also. This is my purpose. Did he come to reveal the Father? Yes. Did he come to destroy works of the devil? Yes. Did he come to make a payment for sin? Yes. But he said, for this purpose I've come, I need to let people know this message because it's the most important message you're ever going to hear. It's the gospel, the good news, that the rule of King Jesus has now come to earth. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you're not just saying yes to going to heaven. A lot of people say, well, say yes to Jesus and you'll go to heaven. Is that true? Yes. But see, when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to his rule in all that you are, his rule in all that you have, his rule in all that you influence, his rule in, in every aspect of your life. You're saying yes to his kingship and lordship. And it's a great place to be because he has a message that you can deliver that will change people's lives. It's not a message of just how to go to heaven. That's the doorway. That's the entranceway. We get saved by accepting what he did but then we don't stay there. He has so much more once you walk in that door. This is one place Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. 
said it a couple other places in the New Testament. He says, for this reason, says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what? That which was lost. The Son of Man. Notice he didn't say the Son of God. He said the Son of Man. I'll, I'll tell you why. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Did he lose his shoe? Did he lose some sleep? What was lost? See, when you understand what was lost, you're going to understand the reason Jesus came with this message. Was mankind lost? Yes. But it was more than just that. So the word seek, we know, means to, to pursue, to go after. It's the same word when it says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means to pursue, to, to go after, to endeavor for. But he says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So I just want to look at these two words real quick. Save, sozo, to keep safe and sound to rescue, to make well, to heal, to restore, to make whole, to deliver, protect, preserve one who is in danger of destruction. So this word sozo is this all-encompassing word. It doesn't just mean to, for forgiveness of sins. It means to, to make whole, to restore, to bring back to health, to protect, to deliver. It's all those things that Jesus came to do. It says the Son of Man came to seek and to save to heal, to restore, to deliver, to protect that which was lost. And this word lost means this. It means to perish, to be ruined, to be destroyed, to put out of the way entirely, to put an end to, to render useless, or to kill. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and Destroy, it's the same word, to be lost. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save. I came to heal, I came to restore, I came to deliver that which was rendered useless, that which was destroyed, that which was lost, that which was killed. And to understand this message, you have to go to back to God's initial purpose for mankind on the earth. Because God never aborted the original purpose. Did you know that? What, what was God's purpose in making Adam? Need a relationship? So here's God. God's also, God within himself doesn't need anything, right? What does God need? Does God need Fred? God loves Fred. But why did God put man on the earth? See, Satan had already been kicked out of heaven. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, darkness hovered over the face of the deep. So that when God creates Adam, what's he want to do? He wants to take his government, the eternal kingdom of God, 
He wants to put man on the earth. And he wants man to have authority over the earth. He wants man to multiply. And he wants man to take dominion over the earth and extend his authority on the earth the same way he has authority in heaven. And he puts man here to defeat Satan. See, what could God have done? Couldn't God have just gone... He could have sneezed and Satan would have been gone. Why didn't he? He wanted to defeat Satan through a man made in his image, after his likeness. And he wanted to extend what he had in heaven. He wanted to extend it here on earth through mankind. And so look in Genesis chapter 1. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and everything that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. But what happened? (laughs) Adam and Eve forfeited what God had given them over to the enemy. Satan became the god of this world. Satan became the ruler of this age. And, and even when Jesus is being tempted in, in, in the wilderness, you remember when he's, he tempts Jesus, the second temptation it says, he takes him up onto a high mountain and shows him in a moment in time all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all this I will give you for it was delivered to me. When was it delivered to Satan? In the Garden of Eden. Jesus never argued with that because he knew it was true. And so Satan said, hey, if you just worship me, if you just bow down to me, I'll give this to you. And he said, Jesus, I know what you came for. I've got it. I'm going to give you an easy way out. Guess what? Jesus didn't take the easy way out. He said, thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt serve the Lord your God only. And he said, I'm not taking it. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to get what I came for, and I'm going to kick you out of here. And that's exactly what he did. And so when, when, God, when God said, let man have dominion on the earth, couldn't he have just stepped in and fixed it? He could have, but he didn't. So what did he do? He sent a second Adam. You know, Jesus is called the second or called the last Adam. So Jesus fixed as a man what the first Adam screwed up. And so God said, okay, first Adam, you messed up. I'm going to come myself. Now, I gave authority to man, so I'm going to come from heaven to earth as a man. Remember he said the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost? And so what did the Son of Man come to do? The Son of Man came back to get everything that Adam lost. And when Adam was in the garden, he was in perfect fellowship with God. He had all authority. He had everything provided. There was nothing that he didn't have access to. He had full access to God. He had full access to God's resources. He had everything, perfect communion with God. And Jesus says, I'm coming back as a man to get back what the first Adam lost. And I'm going to give it back to you. And I'm going to establish 
my rule and my kingdom here on earth. And I'm going to put it in you, and I'm going to let you be my ambassadors to go out and tell other people. That's kind of like that simple. But it took thousands of years for that, that all to, to come, come to place. So I kind of just want to end with this, this verse. Was it two weeks ago, Phil, you talked about the lost son, Luke 15? So in Luke 15, two weeks ago, Phil preached about what we typically call the prodigal son. But in that, in that chapter... You notice the word lost, a whole lot in there. It's the same word lost. In the very beginning of the chapter, you have the shepherd that goes after the one sheep that had gone astray. Right after that, you have a parable of the woman that lost the coin. And right after that, you have the story of the man that had two sons. And all through that, Luke 15, you see all these things that Jesus has restored that Adam lost. Uh, Peter says this, Isaiah says this, he says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has gone astray. The first thing that he restores is he restores us back to himself. The next thing he restores is on the coin. The woman loses a coin in the house, searches everywhere for it. You remember in Matthew, when they're asking, they're like, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? What did Jesus tell them? He said, whose, whose image is on the coin? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God's what's God's. Guess whose image is on your coin? Jesus not only restored your relationship to him, he restored your identity, who you are. His image is on you. Adam was made in the image of God, in his likeness. Jesus has restored that. He took back what the enemy stole. And the prodigal son, what does the father do? The father says, bring out the best robe. What was the robe? Righteousness. He says, put on the ring on his finger. Authority. Put sandals on his feet. You know, only slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. He restored your sonship. And then he said, oh, by the way, the reason you came in the first place, get the fatted calf. And then he goes on to tell the older brother, he says, all that I ever had is yours. And he says, I've restored all the resources that Adam lost. Restored your relationship. I restored your identity. I restored your righteousness. I restored your authority. I restored your sonship. And oh, by the way, you have access to everything that I have, and you always have. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So I want to read to you Romans chapter 5. Is because I put on here verse 17, but I just want to read a few verses here because, and we're going to close with this. Because actually, there's about five verses that are all in parentheses. They're all, one, all really one, one thing. So let me read to you verse 12, and I'll read down through 17, and we'll, we'll finish with this right here. It says, so... Remember, Adam was a type of Christ. 
right? That Adam was the first Adam, Jesus was the, the last Adam. It says, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come, speaking of Jesus. But the free gift is not like the offense, for it came, if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace um, of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So it's saying this. It said because of one man, sin, Adam, death spread on everybody. Like when you were born, you were born dead. Death just means separated. You were literally born separated from God. And because Adam sinned, you were born that way. And it said death spread amongst everybody. Just like you were infected with death. When a baby's born, guess what's certain eventually? It's going to die. Now, we don't think about that, but death is certain. Mortality, the rate, mortality rate is what? 100%. Is there anybody that's ever escaped death? Okay, get, get technical on me. It says Enoch walked with God and he was no more. Right? Who was the other one? Who? Elijah. It's certain. But here's the good news. Look at this. Verse 17. It says, If by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, you heard Seth talk about being a wide receiver, right? Right? That we have to learn how to receive what Jesus has given us. And I love that analogy because so often we're, it doesn't say, it doesn't say this says, for if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who achieve the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You can't achieve it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You're just going out for a pass. And you're catching something that Jesus is throwing your way. You didn't do anything for it. You can't earn it. You're not good enough. It says those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will do what? Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Those who receive will reign. Those who receive will reign in life. What does that mean? What does it mean to reign? To reign means to exercise your kingly power. It means to exercise kingly influence. It, it means to have the highest amount of influence, the high amount, highest amount of control. It says those who receive the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That when you have Jesus as king in your life, everywhere you go, you're carrying the kingdom. Everywhere you go, you're carrying the king. At the name of Jesus, a few knees are going to bow. 
who has exalted Jesus and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean? It says those who receive. Get this. Go back to that verse one time. What's the the certainty of dying? It's not possible mathematically to have more than 100%, right? I think that's why maybe two people didn't die. Maybe it's 99.9999999. They're eventually going to die. Get this. If by one man's offense death reigned through one man, much more the certainty of you reigning in life is more certain than dying. If death is certain, reigning in life because of the gift of Jesus is more certain than death. But what do we do every time we see a bad situation? Uh, what am I going to do? Right? It's the sour now and now. I took some warheads over to Uganda. It's kind of funny. Kristen did, actually. I'll blame her. So I don't think there's anything more sour than a warhead in nature. Like a lemon is sour. And so to somebody, anybody that ever had a warhead, right? I feel like we preach warhead Christianity. Oh, you know, life sucks, but just hang on there. It'll get sweet eventually. Just keep sucking on that thing. It'll go away. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I'm, I'm watching these little kids. I'm watching these kids eat these eat these warheads. Like, oh, I'm like, just keep sucking on it. Come on, it's gonna get sweet. Believe me, it's gonna get sweet. And as I'm saying, I'm thinking, isn't that the gospel message we tell most people? Oh, just hang in there, brother. It'll get better. It'll get better. Just keep pressing on. If by one man's offense. Death reigned through one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will just press on through that warhead. No, it says will reign. You'll reign in life. What does that mean? It means when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you're carrying the King of Kings in you. You have His kingdom within you. You've been authorized to speak the name of Jesus in every situation. That when you reign in life, you reign over sin. When you reign in life, you reign over every curse. When you reign in life, you reign over every addiction. When you reign in life, you reign over every sickness. And you reign over every disease. When you reign in life, you reign over every scheme of the enemy. Everything that he's brought against you beneath the name of Jesus. But we go around like a bunch of paupers. A pauper mentality.
You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A peculiar people. You're strange. See, you need to pick up your royal identity. You have the, you have the image of a king on inside of you. You're carrying the answer to people's problems on the inside of you. You're carrying a message of hope on the inside of you. Jesus has authorized you to use it. Stand up. Act like the person of God that you are. Let's pray. Stand up. I want to pray for you. Every situation, Jesus has already defeated it. Jesus has already won the victory over sin. Jesus has already won the victory over every struggle in your life. He's already won the victory over sickness. Every pain, every hurt, Jesus has won the victory over depression. Jesus has won the victory over offense, bitterness, animosity. If you're carrying any of those things today, Jesus has already defeated every one of those. want to come and agree with you in prayer today if you're if you have anything you've been struggling with in your life that you just you want me to just to pray with right now and i just want to declare the king of kings over your situation maybe it's your marriage maybe it's your job i want you to give me a hand right now put your hand up i want to pray for you i want to pray for you Yeah, I see those hands. Lord Jesus, I thank you now that you have the answer to every problem. I thank you that you answered every problem 2,000 years ago with your son Jesus, Father. I thank you that you came to restore that which was lost. I thank you that everything that Adam forfeited that you got back. your word says that you've transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of your love Father I speak the name of Jesus right now over marriages division is not of you confusion is not of you fighting and bitterness is not of you we stand against it in the name of Jesus Father, sickness, disease, all part of the curse. Lord, poverty and lack, part of the curse. 
Your word says that you redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, because cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith, that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I just declare that right now. That you've blessed us, that you've favored us, that you've healed us, that you've forgiven us, that you've restored us, that you've delivered us, that you came to seek and save that which was lost, and you put it all back in its rightful place. While your heads are bowed, I just want to ask if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you'd like to do that today, I just want to give you a quick opportunity. If that's you, ask you to just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you right now. Say, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. Never made him king. I've never given him a place in my heart. Don't see any hands. Father, right now, if there's anybody watching, maybe online or anybody here that just doesn't want to respond, Lord, I just ask that you would continue to work on them, continue to draw them to yourself. And Lord, I just ask that they would say yes to you. They'd say yes to your death, your burial, your resurrection. And Lord, that you're now, Jesus, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, forever making intercession for us. So, Father, I just ask that if there's that one, that today would be the day they would say yes to you. Lord, I just pray your face to shine upon each person here. I pray for your grace, your goodness to rest on them, their families. Father, let them know today what a great privilege it is to serve the King. What an honor it is to fall under your authority, Lord. And what a tremendous message we carry. We have a message of hope. We have a message of restoration. Jesus, it's no wonder that the sinners were drawn to you because you had the answer for everything that they was missing in their life. Father, let us not be ashamed ever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today.